Welcome to Crime Beyond Borders, a new podcast series from the Journal of Illicit Economies and Development and the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. My name is John Collins and I'm Editor-in-Chief of the Journal. So let's start off by briefly explaining what the Journal of Illicit Economies and Development, also known as JIAD, is. JIAD is an independent academic journal run by the Global Initiative and published by LSE Press. It is a peer-reviewed, open-access, electronic journal publishing research on the relationship between illicit markets and development. You can find a link to the website in the summary to this episode. In this first episode, we are going to discuss the illicit markets in Brazil, their connections with legal activities, and the institutional responses. To discuss these issues, I'm delighted to say that we're joined by the special issue guest editors. Juliana de Oliveira Carlos is a PhD candidate at the Sociology Department of the University of São Paulo, Brazil. Gabriel Feltran is from the Department of Sociology at the Federal University of São Carlos and the Center for Analysis and Planning, CEPRAP, in Brazil. And Luis Guilherme Mendes de Paiva is a criminal justice researcher at the Center for the Study of Liberty and Authoritarianism. Luis, in the introduction for the special issue, you argue a rich tradition of Brazilian studies on illicit markets is still widely unknown in English. Could you outline how this tradition can contribute to the international debate on transnational crime? Yes, uh, thank you, John. There is um, a rich tradition since the 1980s, in fact, that outlines the, the connections between illegality in, in Brazil, but also between the, the situations of how the illicit markets interact with the social control system, including law enforcement. And also, it's important that this, this analytical tradition also outlines how they differentiate themselves. And of course, there are unwritten rules on, on how the society institutionally and non-institutionally responds for you to being an, an actor uh, from the crime world or being part of the official economy or even in, a, in this gray area between them especially if you are from the law enforcement. And so this is something that is being from the attention of scholars in Brazil for a long while. And there's a, a very obvious limitation on, on how this, this rich sociological tradition translates to the, to the general discussion because mostly it's written in Portuguese. So part of our, our work here was try to to translate, literally translate some important work to English and give the international scholars the opportunity to, to, to check by themselves how this is important to the general discussion. Very interesting. And then certainly as a scholar visiting the region, it, it, it did strike me that we're, we're drastically underinformed about the kind of research and the, the breadth of research happening in Brazil. And it seems significantly, uh, the language barrier seems to play into that significantly. And Gabrielle, as, as a scholar in the region, perhaps you could speak to, speak to that a little bit further. Yes, thanks, John. Pleasure to be with you. It was a pleasure to be with Guilherme and Juliana to organizing this special issue as well. We've been actually, as Luis was saying, trying to account the great works that have been done in Brazil after the 80s about uh, informal markets, illicit markets, related to like drug markets and arms and guns, but also smuggling, also vehicle trade, and how it is completely entangled with state policies 
federal government, corruption, and etc. So for us, it was really a pleasure to try to, to gather different generations of scholars, articles from young scholars that are doing empirical work following this tradition. And at the same time, we have like very traditional scholars in Brazil that couldn't publish in English very much. And they are there like framing our approach to illicit markets and development. Thank you, Gabrielle. Very, very interesting. Juliana, could I ask you to speak about, you've done some really groundbreaking work on, on the representation of women, both in drug policies and incarceration and, and drug markets. And perhaps you could also speak of what your experience is and what, you under, what your understanding is of the representation of women and different gender perspectives within illicit market research in Brazil. Yes. Hello, John. It's, it's a pleasure to be here discussing these issues with you guys. In Brazil, we have a, a huge representation of drug-related crimes in, in prisons. So as all of you are aware, we have a huge imprisoned population in Brazil, and drugs are responsible for the, the majority of these prisons. And this is the true for men, and this is especially the true for women. So my research uh, focuses on, on taking a look at the sentences received by these women. On the article that we have published on the special issue, uh, Luis Guilherme and I, we took a look at some of the sentences and, and we highlighted how the judiciary system has some difficult to, to understand the dynamics of crimes, and especially drug-related crimes, and how this affects and, and reinforces the increase on women incarceration rate in Brazil. Thanks, Juliana. So I, I wanted to ask, and, and maybe Luis, I could go back to you on this question. Brazil was the first very geographically focused special issue we did for the journal. Um, and I want, I want to get your thoughts on why you think Brazil was such a good candidate for this uh, and why we ended up choosing and doing an entire special issue on Brazil. Well, I think it's, uh, Brazil has a geographical position that put itself in a very difficult situation as a transition country for illicit markets, especially international drug markets. And so we have borders, uh, dry borders with the biggest producers of marijuana and um, coca leaf. It's a continental country. It's, it's natural that this situation creates an internal dynamics also connected to the internal market. This, this geographical position creates this, uh, this international and internal dynamics also relates to how the cities were growing in the mid-70s and, and 80s here in Brazil. And uh, all this situation combined creates a very complex situation here. And how the institutions responded to this situation is something that is very unique, I guess. And, and Juliana, if we were to if we were to zoom in on the, the more local level, um, we know that a, a lot of the research that's conducted is uh, conducted on Sao Paulo and, and, and Rio. But in this special issue, you as the editors expanded beyond these two places. And I'm, I'm just wondering uh, why, why you thought it was important to do this and what, what was the outcome of that approach? Yes, even within Brazil, we have this, this huge misrepresentation of other parts of the country that are not Sao Paulo and Rio. So we, we try to, to somehow give more space and, and open the debate with other 
parts of the country. It's a continental country, as you know, and it has its own specific local dynamics on, on crimes in, in different areas of the country. So if we just take a look to Sao Paulo and, and Rio, we may not see how different crimes dynamics affect other parts of the country. So for us, it was a, a big concern to be more representative in terms of the, the, the diversity of uh, Brazilian criminal dynamics. And I think the international reader can have a taste, let's say, uh, of this diversity on the special issue. I think it, we were successful in, in bringing this, this different uh, context to the issue. And Gabrielle, you know, you're you're a scholar whose international recognition as an expert on, on Brazilian drug markets and, and and the institute, not just drug markets, I should say, the illicit markets in, in general in Brazil and the institutional structures around them. Given that some of the articles describe the specificities of some illicit markets, while others discuss the institutional framework around them, could you give us some context on the relationship between illegal economies, uh, the formal markets and the institutional responses to those? Yes, very good question, John. Actually, in my paper for this special issue, it is exactly what I'm trying to to connect, to to entangle, because there is a, a kind of average view on illicit markets that think they are completely an underworld. They are not connected to legal economies and to the, the law enforcement, especially in, in urban margins and distant places, you know. And in, in, in my paper for this special issue, what we are trying to show is exactly the opposite. I mean, an average guy who is studying in the morning and working legally in the afternoon is a guy who also sells drugs at night in the neighborhood where uh, he lives. And the day after, after having $200 as a payment for selling drugs, he goes to a shopping mall and he buys sunglasses and some food. And buying the sunglasses, he is giving money to legal commerce and paying taxes for this. And the legal money he had selling drugs is immediately, by consumption, transferred to legal economies. And this same guy goes to, with some friends to steal a car and they steal a car hired by uh, another guy who is a bit older than them, who is also someone who owns a store in the neighborhood, a legal store, but does illegal stuff aside. So those things are completely entangled. In, in my article, I think I, I try to follow this car, in this case, a Toyota Hilux, that this guy stole and try to see how people are making money with this stolen vehicle in a very different ways, including legal ways. I mean, the auctioneer who, after recovery, will sell this car, the insurance company that are completely linked to these vehicle markets in Brazil and etc. So we are really trying to demonstrate with empirical work how those allegedly separate economies are actually completely entangled and how like illegal uh, markets could be understood as something constitutive or something that is part of the whole economy in a country. 
And and Louise, you know, I, I had the, the fortune to to take part in a field visit in in Brazil a number of years ago, where you were showing us around the the criminal justice system and 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 linking it to the you know the, the lived experiences of people in the favelas. And sitting in these criminal proceedings and watching very young people having significant portions of their lives consigned away to a, what must be a pretty awful ex- existence in prison was quite a jarring experience. Could, could you speak to that a little bit? And, and you know, we have Gabrielle talking about how the, the line between licit and illicit is often this kind of this very gray area within Brazil. And yet these very extreme penalties that fall on certain parts of the society. Could you speak more on that and how the, the special issue addressed it? Yeah, sure. As you uh, we tried to, to, to point out in, in my article with Juliana, that is that the criminal justice system just reflects many inequalities and, um, in the whole country. So in a way, we have mostly very young black and brown people. In, in the vast majority of cases, they are the, 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 the ones who are captured by the criminal justice system. Of course, we, we, could, we could talk for hours on how this reflects the problems within law enforcement itself. But the fact is that when you go to the criminal justice system, this is not a matter of concern. This is reproduced almost critically by the judicial system and the prosecutorial offices. And so the point is, we had the opportunity to go and, and see, John, an initial hearing that happened here in Sao Paulo. So... According to a uh, fairly recent uh, legislation here, every person incarcerated should be taken to a judge in 24 or 48 hours. And what we saw there that on that day is a sample of what happens every day in, for years in this country. We have tons of young black males and sometimes black women bringing to the court because of minor drug offenses or nonviolent crimes. The circumstances of the legal markets or what what enabled this workforce to be so available to the to the illicit markets is not a matter of concern of the judicial system. They look to the specificity of the case. When they do, mostly they, they don't. They just use a, a pre prefabricated <laughs> conception of, of what might have happened for a black guy to be arrested with drugs, for example. This whole situation, this whole machinery just goes round and round. What we tried to present was, I think I should point out to our article and also the one from Maíra Machado and and other authors that brings this to the higher courts here in Brazil. What we tried to bring is that the, the institutional response from the criminal justice system is totally ignores the dynamics of the market. So why are... So many young people involved in the lowest uh, echelons of the drug markets. Uh, are they really relevant to the market itself? If the law presents itself as, as a means to protect the public safety and the public health, is incarcerating a 18 young men or women to, for five years doing any good? Th- there is no reflection on that. This is something that the judges and the prosecutors and the criminal justice as a whole should be aware of, how the market works. Otherwise, they're not doing a good job. And Juliana, would you like to jump in on that question? Yes, I think what we try to to show with our article is that how does these two spheres works as completely different worlds? So in one hand, you have the, the whole dynamic 
of street crimes and especially drug offenses. And on the other hand, you have a judiciary system that is composed by white, middle-aged, high-income men and women. But these two different separate worlds kind of represent the inequality in Brazil and how they they have the world that should address responses to the other. So the judiciary that should apply some kind of responses to the issue that they are trying to solve, the, the criminality, they cannot understand the other side. So you have a situation that just goes on and on. The only result that we have in this process is that we have a lot of people going to the jail, but we don't have a systemic response from the system. Just a quick message to those listening. Jayad welcomes submissions for our open issues regularly. It can be research, a review, letter, policy commentary, and other options. Recently, we've had pieces on corruption, mafia groups, drug trafficking, environmental crimes, and many more. For more information, head over to the Jayad website. There's a link in the summary to the show. Okay, so for my, my last two questions, I'd like to get thoughts for, from everyone, really. Um, the first is, is about the, the current political climate in Brazil and how that affects illicit markets. And then the second question would be some policy takeaways. So uh, let, let's go with the first. So arguably the election of Jair Bolsonaro in 2019 inaugurated what seems a new era in Brazilian politics. What are the ongoing impacts and what, what's staring into the future? What do you think of the future impacts of Bolsonaro's election for how illicit markets operate and how they're managed within Brazil? Gabriel first, please. Yes. In my opinion, John, uh, I think Bolsonaro is, uh, in a sense, a result of the conflict around illicit markets. I mean, Bolsonaro represents the small operators of law enforcement and other informal violent actors in Brazilian society that are also linked to police, especially the military police, with Bolsonaro, illicit economies became more conflictive because, of course, there is uh, two armed groups really engaged in trying to regulate the drug markets, the guns markets, the legal and illegal ones, also the vehicle markets and stolen vehicle markets. So there are huge in Brazil. We have 400,000 stolen vehicles a year in Brazil. So what we 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 can see is that police violence increased a lot around illegal markets after the election of Bolsonaro in 2018 and in a sense what was more or less pacified by some criminal groups in different regions of the country because those criminal groups were controlling those markets without any competition in some regions became a kind of war because Groups linked to Bolsonaro in different parts of the country faced those criminal groups in illegal ways, not uh, enforcing legislation, human rights, but in a, in a more autonomous way, like militias uh, facing the crime in a violent manner to have control over illicit markets in many different regions of the country. And also in different markets, not only drugs, guns, and smuggling products, but also mining, wood, uh, illegally extracted from um, Amazon forests, and etc. And also uh, land market and real estate market in, in cities. 
So we have kind of Bolsonaro's militias confronting criminal organization in, in many different regions of the country now. Luis, I think you want to jump in next. Yeah, Gabriel just mentioned the, the other markets, and I think it's important to, to note that Bolsonaro, in a way, presented itself as a, a guy from the from the from the little people, uh, someone who will protect the interests of those who were forgotten by the politically correct uh, dictatorship, as he pointed out uh, during his campaign, and that included, for example, the the miners, the illegal miners in the Amazon, and the, the illegal loggers. And so when he came to power, it immediately prompted an enormous number of invasions to, for example, to indigenous reserves by illegal miners and illegal loggers. And um, this is not to say that he, the Bolsonaro commands these this people. He's not necessarily business related to them, but they are part of his constituency and they felt empowered by his election to increase their illegal activities. So this is kind of an indirect effect of Bolsonaro elections. But there are also very direct effects in the same illegal markets. For example, there was a, an intentional dismantling of the, um, the police and the, and the environmental forces that would oversee the situation in the Amazon, for example. So people were dismissed, the administrative bodies lost their authority to, the, to some regions, and so there were lots of conflicts that were already in place well before Bolsonaro came to power. But the balance of power between these groups, they just tipped off to their favor. And, and Juliana, what are your thoughts? Well, on top of what Gabriel and Guilherme just, just said, I would mention, especially for urban areas, the decrease of economic outcomes in Brazil and, and so the the increase of poverty and inequality in urban areas i think it also played an important role in criminality nowadays and, and under bolsonaro government we have seen the decrease of uh, economic power in brazil and many people facing a lot of difficulties to get other sources of of income so it, i think it also plays a role in the rise of another kind of criminality recently in Brazil. And so let's, to, to wind up the discussion, I'm going to ask all of you to, to give your thoughts on, on, on what the main policy takeaways from the special issue are. Um, you know, academic research is hugely important, but at the journal, we're particularly interested in research that is that can be usable for policy audiences and, and has an impact in the world. So um, maybe beginning with Gabrielle, you could maybe give two or three thoughts of what some of the, the main takeaways from the special issue for the audience are. Yes. No, for us, the whole model of public security and private security that are completely entangled in Brazil, one another, is wrong. For me, I have uh, the, the image of someone who takes the wrong way in a route and tries to accelerate to <laughs> achieve the expected route and, and can't. I mean, for 30 or 40 years, we are doing exactly the same in terms of law enforcement and public action related to security and illegal markets and violence and crime in Brazil. So we are putting a lot of people in prison. So we have 800,000 people in, in prison in Brazil now and more than 5 million former prisoners in the country. 
And at the same time, we are putting a lot of money in military police. I mean, doing ostensive police without any investigation. And the result of it is a reaction in the other side from the prisons arose the main criminal organizations in Brazil that are spreading to different Latin American countries and to other countries as well. So for us, and after studying this for a long time, we are trying to plan a very different public intervention in terms of security policies. I mean, we are talking about at least three things we have to do urgently in Brazil. I mean, first thing is to sort homicides, because who decides who is able to kill or not to kill is the sovereign. And 85% of homicide cases in Brazil are not sorted by the state, but they are sorted by criminal organizations at the local level. 85%. We clarify less than 15% of homicides in Brazil. So if the state delivers justice, to the people. Of course, state will be more legitimate to enforce other security measures. But at the same time, we are talking about a second point. There is the regulation of illegal markets. We have to advance in terms of market regulations or law regulations or, or any form of public regulation and democratic regulation of the broad range of illegal markets we have in the country. We have to advance in this direction. And the third thing we are saying that is very important for us is to reverse the mass incarceration policies that even in the United States are not so in vogue as it was years ago. So, of course, for us, it's much more severe consequence because prisons are the main political positions for the criminal groups in the country. So those criminal groups call the prisons in Brazil faculties or universities because, of course, there they could learn and share expertise about criminal action. So those are the three bullet points for us that are very important if we want to change the framework of our security system now in Brazil. Thanks for that comprehensive overview, Gabriel. Um, I'm cognizant that we're, we're beginning to run out of time. So um, Juliana and Luis, if I could ask you kindly, but maybe just one or two key points that really stick out to you from the special issue. Juliana, if you can go first, please. I think that for me, the, the main thing on this issue is to address this diversity of criminal dynamics all over the country, this huge and continental country. But how the judiciary system and more broadly speaking, the state fails to understand the dynamics of, of criminal activities in, in different parts of the country, fails to, to understand it and fails to give effective response to this. So the, the response that is given by the state is the one that Gabriel just, just mentioned, is more prison, more people incarcerated, but this is not effective in terms of security, not effective in terms of human rights, and not effective in terms of changing the criminal on the street level. Great. Thanks, Juliana. And Luis, if we could close on your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, John. Yeah, I think uh, Juliana and Gabriel said it all. I would just like to say that it's a huge challenge to convince people of the importance to to put the, the, the reaction to illicit markets in the context of the economic development, for example. So we're talking about 
the judiciary and the criminal justice system being oblivious on what what happens in the in, in the real criminal markets, but also the political world and the the common sense it also goes towards this route, uh, this failed route that that Juliana just described. So uh, I think our challenge and the one takeaway from the special issue is well, we have this research, we have this evidence, and now somehow we have to convince people that we should search for alternatives. And hopefully, this is a way forward. That's it for this episode of Crime Beyond Borders. I'd like to thank Juliana de Oliveira, Carlos, Gabriel Faltran, and Luis Guillermo Mendes de Paiva. You can find the link to the special issue on Brazil in the summary to the show. And if you head over to our website, jayad.lse.ac.uk, you can find links to various papers from coca-related deforestation in Colombia to synthetic drug production in Belgium. Remember that it's all peer-reviewed and free to access. We're also on Twitter at at IllicitEcons. On LinkedIn, you can become a member of the Illicit Economies and Organized Crime Researchers and Policy Professionals group. Currently, we have over 500 organized crime experts from around the world engaging in discussions on numerous areas of research. Again, I would like to thank all our speakers today and also to you listening. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode of Crime Beyond Borders from Jayad and the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm John Collins. Thanks for listening.